If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Um, last week, we finished up our series on the subject of uh, prayer, in which we studied Jesus' teaching uh, in Matthew 6, where he didn't just give us a prayer to pray, he actually taught us how to pray. He gave us guidelines to follow as we pray. He taught us how to approach our Heavenly Father, and he um, taught us how to pray the different things that we can and should be included into our prayers. But there are three verses at the end of that context of where Jesus teaches us to pray that we haven't covered yet that are actually included in the context of him teaching us to pray. And so I feel like we need to address those verses rather than just sort of ignore them and move on. All right, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through um, 18. He says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice what you're, or no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Now notice that he doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. As if the question of whether or not followers of Jesus would, would fast or not has been established, right? But what's interesting is that Jesus never commanded his followers to fast. Nowhere in the Gospels did Jesus ever command us to fast. In fact, the only time we see a commandment to fast in Scripture is in the book of Leviticus, which instructs the children of Israel to fast on the Day of Atonement. But because the validity of the Day of Atonement ceased when Jesus made the once and for all sacrifice for sin, the single prescribed occasion for fasting has ceased to exist. And the Gospels don't even record Jesus' fasting aside from the, the one time where he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to, be, uh, to fast for 40 days and then be tempted by the devil. So if Jesus didn't make a habit of fasting and Scripture doesn't command Christians to fast, then why fast? What's the purpose of fasting? And are there benefits to fasting? And if there are purposes and benefits, then when should we consider doing it? It is my hope this morning to answer these questions and give you a, a solid understanding of this spiritual discipline and perhaps even inspire you to make fasting something that you um, regularly include in your devotion to God. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you fast on a regular basis? And I don't mean diet fasting. Okay, we got one, one in here? Okay, good. Um, how many of you have fasted, but it, it's been a long time. You probably couldn't tell me when it was. Okay. How many of you have never fasted? Okay. All right. Um, I have to admit that, that fasting isn't uh, a spiritual discipline that I do regularly. It's, it's been maybe a year or so since I fasted last um, and so this message is as much for me as it is for y'all. And I hope that we can sort of journey together to make fasting a, um, 
something that we can practice regularly. Um, I did, however, fast a couple of weeks ago for almost two whole days, um, but it was a, a forced fast for medical reasons. Um, I had been struggling with some pain in my upper right abdomen for a few months, and uh, I finally went to the doctor, thought it might have been, you know, my gallbladder, and um, so they did an ultrasound, ultrasound came back negative, and so my doctor didn't know what else to do, so she sent me to a gastroenterologist, and he wanted to do an endoscopy, and if you don't know what an endoscopy is, it's where they send a camera down your throat and take pictures all inside your stomach and down your small intestine a little bit. Fortunately, you're, you get to be asleep for that. Um, I wasn't going to do that if I had to be awake. Um, so that wasn't so bad, but I did have to fast 12 hours before the procedure. So I was the last procedure of the day on the day that I was scheduled. And so that meant I couldn't eat anything, eat or drink anything that whole day. Well, the next or the day prior to that, first thing in the morning, the doctor's office calls and says, hey, um, we've noticed that you haven't had this other procedure that's recommended for people of your age group. And while you're asleep, we're going to go ahead and do that for you as well. The good news is it was covered 100% by my insurance. The bad news was it added another day of fasting on top of it. So that day I had to, couldn't eat anything and then couldn't eat or drink anything the next day. But then to, um, for added fun, they give me this totally disgusting drink that I had to drink um, the afternoon before, the first day in the afternoon, and then again, and then again in the middle of the night. At 2, 2 a.m., I had to do that. And so, and I'm not even going to describe what happens after, for the next three hours after that. I mean, it's just miserable. Um, but suffice it to say that not only could I not eat, it flushed every bit of food that was left inside me out. Um, and that was a fast where I gained no spiritual benefits, okay? <laughs> not only was I miserable, there was no amount of combing my hair or washing my face that was going to hide that misery. And, and the only reward I got was uh, the anesthesia that gave me the best hour and a half of sleep I can remember. So anyway, while, while fasting for medical reasons might not produce any spiritual benefits, there are spiritual benefits to be gained from fasting to God with right motives. And addressing our motives is exactly what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 6. He says, when you fast, don't make it obvious to those around you so that they will admire you for your fasting. He says, if that's your motive, then other people's admiration is the only reward you're going to get. And, you know, let's be honest. At the end of the day, that's a pretty poor reward, right? It's pretty darn worthless. Instead, Jesus teaches us about fasting the same way he teaches us about prayer. That faith is the most important element to fasting. See, it takes absolutely no faith to go through the motions of fasting and deny yourself when your true motive is only to be seen by other people so they can admire you. Your faith in God 
your faith in God, seeing you deny yourself and thereby him rewarding you, is not engaged in the slightest bit. If all you care about is other people seeing you and admiring you for your fast. It does, however, require faith to fast privately to your heavenly father, trust that he sees you, and trust that he will make good on his promise to reward you. So faith is the most critically important element to fasting, for without it, you're just wasting your time, right? But there's another way that we can waste our time and energy regarding to fasting, and that's if we fast without praying. Fasting must, also, must always be connected to seeking God in prayer, which you would think would be a no-brainer, right? But I've actually met people who treat fasting as a standalone spiritual discipline. And generally, it's people who have sort of bought into um, some kind of mysticism teaching where they think fasting will, will, um, is some sort of means to some sort of heightened spiritual experience, right? Let me just tell you, the Bible does not teach that at all, Okay. Fasting alone accomplishes nothing except for making you hungry. And almost every example of biblical fasting found in Scripture is connected to seeking God in prayer. Even Jesus' teaching on fasting here in Matthew 6 is taught in the context of his teaching on prayer. And so the common thread of biblical fasting is that it is connected to seeking God in prayer, and you'll see that common thread emerge as we look at several examples as we move on. So, if Jesus never commanded us to fast, and God doesn't require it of us in any way, then why fast? Why deny myself through fasting if it's not a command or requirement? I think the simplest answer to that question would, is just that Jesus promised that God would, would reward us, right? But that's not to say that fasting is the magic ingredient that you add to your prayer to make sure God answers all your prayers, right? Nowhere in Scripture is there any indication that God is more likely to answer your prayers if it's accompanied by fasting. However, Biblical examples of prayer accompanied by fasting seem to indicate the sincerity of the people who are praying and the critical nature of the situations that they find themselves in. And so the real purpose of fasting, we can say, is this. Fasting helps us take our eyes off the things of this world to completely focus on God. See, fasting is a way to demonstrate to God and to ourselves that we're serious about our relationship with him. And that's what God takes notice, takes notice of, and that's what he rewards. In the same way that you know, we talked about in our series of prayer, in the same way that prayer changes us if we're doing it right, fasting changes us. And at the end of the day, fasting helps us gain a new perspective and a renewed reliance upon God. And it's that reliance and dependence on God that really seems to move him the most. And we see that not only in our own lives, but through several examples in Scripture. And so maybe the better question is this. 
when should I consider adding fasting to my prayer? If fasting demonstrates a greater reliance and dependence on God, then when should I consider adding fasting to my prayers? And so I wanna, what I want to do is walk you through several examples that are found in Scripture to help us answer this question. And the first example comes from a widow by the name of Anna, found in the, uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Um, and she teaches us that fasting and prayer can accompany our worship to God. Fasting and prayer can accompany our worship to God. So let me go, sort of set up the story before we get to her. Sometime after Jesus was born, not too long, um, Mary and Joseph had to go to Jerusalem to give their purification offering, which was required by the law of Moses after a child was born. The law also stated that if the woman's firstborn is a boy, then that they had to take that child and dedicate him before the Lord at the temple. So, Joseph and Mary, along with baby Jesus, head to Jerusalem. While they were in Jerusalem, they ran into a guy named Simeon, who was a guy who longed to see the coming Messiah. And God had even promised him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And so on the day that Joseph and Mary are heading to the temple, Simeon gets led by the Holy Spirit to the temple as well, and he runs into them. And as soon as he sees Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he prophesies over Jesus. And that's where we pick up Anna's story. Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God, and she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Now, I have to say, I don't think I've ever met anyone who, um, who fasted and prayed just as an accompaniment to their worship. But clearly, this is one way that you can pray and fast. And how did God reward Anna? Well, she got to meet the baby Jesus, right? And, she, and then she got to spread the word that the Messiah was born. Not to mention, she got her story published in the Gospel of Luke. I mean, how awesome is that, right? That's pretty cool. All right. So the next example comes from the book of Acts. And the book of Acts gives us a couple of examples of how you can fast and pray when you need to make important decisions. All right. First um, is Acts chapter 13, verse 2 and 3. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So as the elders of the early church were just, um, just fasting and praying and worshiping, 
the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, Saul and Barnabas have a special mission, and you need to uh, uh, dedicate them for this mission. And so they fasted and prayed some more and laid their hands on them and sent their way. Well, then, in the next chapter, we see Saul and Barnabas out on the mission field starting churches, and it tells us that they did the same thing when they needed to appoint leaders for the churches that they were starting. Acts 14.23 says, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. You know, there are some decisions that we have to make that are pretty easy and clear, and we don't need to rely on God for his direction, right? But there are other decisions that we have to make where we can't see very clearly, and we need God's direction and guidance. There's other decisions that are so complicated that there, and there's just so many implications and, and possibilities that it's so hard to navigate. And so we need God's help and direction for that as well. And then there's even decisions where there's just so much hanging in the balance. And I think that's what we see here in these examples in the book of Acts. And it's in those occasions that you should consider not only praying, but adding fasting to your prayer. And I believe that God will reward you with absolute clarity on the decision that you need to make. Right? Now, what if you're in a situation where you know that God is calling you to do something, but you're terrified to do it? Right? Um, and And... You know that if you walk in obedience to him, it's going to cost you something. It could cost you big, right? Um, The story of Esther teaches us that fasting is appropriate when obeying God clearly needs his intervention. And some of us have been in situations like that. Fasting is appropriate when obeying God clearly needs his intervention. Many of you know the story of Esther, how she was a young Jewish girl who was orphaned, and, and then she got, she um, started, her, um, I don't know if it was her uncle or cousin, Mordecai, uh, adopted her and, and raised her as his very own daughter. Well, they lived in, in the time where Persia was ruling the land, and King Xerxes was the king of Persia. And there was an incident where um, he called on his wife, to come because he wanted to show his, his wife off, the queen. He wanted to show his wife off to someone. She refused to show up. And so he, he axed her, right? He didn't kill her. He just deposed her, right? She's, she's done. She doesn't get to be queen anymore. Um, and so he goes on a search for a new queen, right? It's kind of like um, ancient bachelor, whatever. He goes on a search. He goes on a search for a new queen, Right? And he finds, he, he, he finds all these women. Well, uh, Esther happened to be one that made it into the group. All right? And there's all these women in the harem. And she, God rise, raises her up to become, sets her up to become the queen because he, he liked her the best. Well, she wasn't the queen yet, but there was this evil guy by the name of Haman. And he had it in for the Jews, and he wanted the Jews dead, all of them. And so he put it in the ear, 
and, and tricked, he actually kind of manipulated King Xerxes to issue a decree that all Jews would be killed. And so the decree went out that on this certain day, every Jew would be executed. Well, she's a Jew. And the king doesn't know that. Um, but Mordecai is like, you need to talk to him, right? You need to use your influence with him. He loves you the most. You're going to become the next queen. You need to use your influence and your position to speak to him and, and get this decree, you know, reversed. Um, but... The law stated that if anybody just showed up to the king without being invited, then you were doomed to die. Unless, when you showed up, the king raised his golden scepter, which was his sign of acceptance, right? So she's terrified. She, she's, like, she's like, no, I can't. I wasn't invited. I haven't seen him for a month. I can't just show up or I'm going to be killed. And we pick up the story in Esther 4, verse 13. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Now, this is the one rare example where we don't actually see the word prayer included with the word fasting. But a case can obviously be made that they're imploring God for something, right? They're not just fasting for some arbitrary reason to hopefully gain some sort of spiritual heightened experience, right? Um, so, have you ever been in a situation where you knew God was telling you something, but you knew that it might cost you? It might cost you something, right? Like, you know, perhaps you know you need to share the gospel with someone, but you're really afraid that it's going to cost you that relationship. Or maybe you're, you know, maybe you're, you need to share your faith with someone at work, and you're terrified that it's going to cost you your job. But you know God's telling you to share your faith with this person, right? How many of you are generally fearful when it comes, when God tells you to share your faith? Okay, that's pretty normal. Um, you know, maybe even with inviting people and doing what Johnny was saying and being more proactive with sharing your faith out like at a restaurant or something, um, you know, whenever you find yourself in a situation where you know God is telling you to do something, but you're terrified at what, the, 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 what could happen as a result, prayer and fasting is a, is a great opportunity to, this is a great opportunity to use prayer and fasting, it is completely appropriate to pray and fast for God's intervention as you walk in obedience to him. Okay, now suppose you're in a situation where you have an opportunity to minister to someone, but you know that you're totally out of your depth. Anybody have a situation like that? 
few of you? Okay. Um, the disciples learned the hard way that some ministry opportunities require more preparation through prayer and fasting. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends his disciples out on a little ministry trip. And he gives them instructions and he gives them authority to cast out demons, to heal sick people and do all this stuff. They come back totally amazed that the demons were even obeyed them, right? But then, just a few chapters later, this happens. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, the scribes disputing with them. Immediately when, he, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greedy, greeted, they're talking about Jesus, and greeted him. And he asked... And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they, brought him, then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has, he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him, to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now, I've heard a lot of speculation on why the disciples failed here when in chapter 6 they were casting out demons in, in multiple people. Um, and it's all pure speculation, but I think the bottom line is that not all ministry is the same, right? And yes, we can fall into the trap of, of being overly confident because we've done this thing before, we're going to do it again, it's not a big deal, I got this, right? And just find out, and then we sort of come into it ill-prepared. But the huge benefit that we have over the disciples at this point in, their, in this stage of their spiritual walk with Jesus is that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. The Holy Spirit hadn't come to dwell in them yet, but we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And I know from my own experience that whenever you're about to enter into a ministry opportunity that's out of your depth, the Spirit is faithful to sort of lay that on your heart. And that is a perfect opportunity for prayer and fasting. Dedicate yourself to God in prayer and fasting so you can be prepared for this ministry opportunity that he's put before you. These are situations where prayer and fasting is absolutely called for. 
Now, hopefully, these scriptural examples will inspire you to add prayer and fasting to, or, or prayer, or fasting to your seeking God in prayer, which may lead to this next question, how should I fast? How then do I do it? Well, aside from Jesus' instruction in Matthew 6, there's not a whole lot of instruction biblically on how exactly do you do it, right? I think the best rule of thumb is just to follow what God lays on your heart. Um, You can fast one meal, like maybe skip lunch and pray and fast during that time. You can skip a whole, you know, all the meals for a 24-hour period or maybe a 48-hour period. Um, You can even skip one meal for a number number of consecutive days for a a time of prayer and fasting. Um, You can fast from something like coffee, which might cost us some some of us more than others. You can do a Daniel fast. Um, Like Daniel, in the book of Daniel, Daniel did a fast where he ate nothing but um, vegetables and water for a period of time, and he sought God. Um, and if you're married, you can even fast from your intimate relations with each other. Scripture even talks about that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 5, do not deprive each other of intimate relations unless you both agree to refrain from intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourself more completely to prayer. So you're fasting from that for what reason? To give yourself more completely to prayer, right? Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right? So there's all kinds of ways you can fast. The bottom line is this. Deny yourself something for the sake of seeking God in prayer. Find something that you can deny yourself, your physical body, so that you can seek God in prayer. And when you fast, don't fast to be seen by others, which we already talked about that Jesus brought up in Matthew 6, or to please yourself by your pious self-sacrifice. Right? We can fall into the trap of spiritual pride where we just are so proud of ourselves for our self-sacrifice. Right? And Isaiah 58 addresses that. Isaiah 58, is the whole chapter is a great chapter on the subject of fasting and sort of gives us glimpses into God's heart. Um, but in Isaiah 58, God confronts the Israelites by contrasting their pompous, self-righteous fasting, which was just a show of the flesh, with the true fasting that God expects from his people. They were trying to look religious, but they were actually rebellious and sinful. Listen to what he says to them. Isaiah 58, verse 1. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious, they come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you didn't even notice. 
I will tell you why, I respond. It is because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is a fast when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. This is what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then you will call. The Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will, he will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as the noon. Now, we have to keep in mind the context that this was written, right? This was written during the Old Covenant when the people of God had to earn their right standing with him, right? We've talked about that several times over the last couple years. So, so this is the, during the period where they had, people had to earn their right standing, which is not for us, right? We have our right standing with God through Jesus. So you have to be careful not to draw any conclusions that would discount the, the righteousness that we have in Christ or lead you to sort of try and earn your acceptance and favor from God through the, the, these means, right? So we have to be careful with that. But this passage does confirm what Jesus said in Matthew 6, right? And even points out another type of hypocritical fasting, that the fasting to please yourself, right? Like being so proud of your pious self-sacrifice. We have to be careful not to do that. But I think we can also draw from this passage perhaps another way to fast that would no doubt, no doubt please God. What if you were to deny yourself for the sake of serving others in need? That doesn't get a whole lot of airtime these days, does it? What if you were to not deny yourself for the sake of serving others in need? I think it's one of the main messages of this passage. And it sort of reveals a part of God's heart that we can definitely appeal to. So however you decide to fast, please don't get legalistic with it. Um, be sure that you're doing it in faith, placing your trust in God to to see what you're doing and, and reward you. So it's an exercise of faith. Um, and just do it unto him. Not unto yourself and not unto other people so they can see you. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, I thank you, God, for this passage on 
where Jesus teaches us to pray. And even at the end of this context, he teaches us what fasting is all about. Lord, I know that there's many of us here who who don't really see the value or who haven't really seen the value in it and, and um, don't make it a regular practice. But God, there's great value to it, and I pray that you would open our eyes to that, that you would give us revelation of this spiritual discipline that we, especially in our culture, have this tendency to overlook. So God, I, I I pray that you would that these passages of Scripture, that this this word would be good seed in the soil of our hearts. That you would use it to bear good fruit in us, and that we would learn how to fast in such a way that pleases you, God. Your word tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please you. So fasting is absolutely an exercise of faith. I know, God, how difficult it is to fight the urge of the flesh to want to be seen by other people. But that's not what this is about, God. This is all about fasting unto you. This is about dedicating ourselves to you through fasting and prayer so that you have the, uh, an opportunity to change us in a way that we might not provide otherwise. So help us, God, in this. I pray that your Holy Spirit living in us would remind us that you would give us revelation of, its, of, of why we need to do this and that you would even remind us as opportunities come our way that we should, we should add fasting to our prayers. We thank you, God, for all these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. All right.